Welcome to the SPE Podcast, powered by the Society of Petroleum Engineers. You're listening to SPE Live, how technology and innovation drive unconventional resources development. The audio from this episode was previously recorded on May 24th, 2023. And now your moderator, Alex Valdez-Perez. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this SPE Live on how technology and innovation drive unconventional resources development. My name is Alex Valdez-Perez. I am a technical developer for Kappa Engineering, an SPE Reservoir Advisory Committee member. I will be the moderator for today. Today's program is estimated to last 30 30 minutes, and we encourage our viewers to send questions to our panelists. Uh, Before we introduce our guests, I would like to invite you to uh, the Unconventional Resources Technology Conference, which will be held in in Denver next month. Uh, It is, uh, well, the largest uh, um, conference regarding unconventionals. So now it is my great pleasure to introduce our guest. Our first guest is Johannes Alvarez. Johannes is the EOR and CO2 advisor in the Mid-Continent Business Unit at Chevron America's Exploration and Production. He currently serves as the Unconventional Resources Technology Conference SP co-chair as the SPE Midland Basis Energy Conference co-chair and many other positions within the SPE. He is the author of several journal and technical papers on EOR in unconventional reservoirs. He serves as the technical editor for the SPE journals. Our second panelist is Scott Singleton. Scott works for Nextra Energy as a reservoir geophysicist in the Eagle Ford asset. He is the SEG technical co-chair for Ortec. Scott has 35 years of experience in the oil industry, spanning from offshore acquisition as a total bugger to seismic processing, interpretation, geophysical reservoir characterization, and shell reservoir geomechanics. For the last 15 years, Scott has been working on unconventional resource plays. Our third guest is Katerina Yared. Katerina is a senior petrophysicist at SM Energy located in Denver. Before joining SM Energy, Katerina worked for KEP Resources, Apache Corporation, and NEOS Solution as a petrophysicist. She is a certified professional geologist in the state of Texas and a certified project management professional by the Project Management Institute. In addition, Katerina has been selected to participate in the cohort of the 2023 Energy Development Program from the Energy Leadership Institute. Uh, Johannes, Scott, Katarina, welcome to this SPE Live. So before we jump into the meeting, uh, Johannes, would you like to give us uh, some uh, opening words? Sure, Alex. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Welcome. Uh, Thank you for being here with us. This is simple. We just want to talk to you about unconventionals. And before we go into the details, uh, we just want to let you know the importance, right? Why are we doing this? Why would tech and one... Well, why our countries actually develop these resources for many years. Uh, if, if we put just the US, United States, uh, we, the production of oil right now for the United States, two-thirds of that come from unconventional reservoirs. Uh, this, is, this has put the US on the top oil and gas producer due to unconventionals, and actually it's expected that our production will increase even more than two, 12 million barrels per day. This year and in 2024, 12.8 barrels per day, million barrels per day. 
Um, that's that's incredible based on the fact that we were producing less than five million 15 years ago, and there is a huge peak that is basically driven by unconventional. And not only by unconventional, but the technology that we have that actually drive this risk development. Uh, if we put just the Permian Basin aside, in 2027, this basin will produce 7 million barrels a day of oil. This is incredible compared to what actually we're producing right now. Uh, this also put the US on the export charts right now. We're, we're exporting new record 3.6 million barrels per day last year. Uh, and we see in the last decades basically how we that inflection point and change the production. Not only the US, but many other countries are actually using conventional reservoirs, especially in, in America. In addition, conventional reservoirs give you very low carbon barrels. The average is 12 to 14 upstream emission intensity of 12 to 14 kilograms of CO2 per BOE. That's very low compared with other uh, asset class in, in the in the industry. Also, if we talk about economics, we invest the EIA or the International Agency Energy Agency estimates that $26 trillion will be invested from 2021 to 2015 in the oil and gas sector. And North America, because of the growth of unconventional, will take 30% of that chunk. It's like almost $8 trillion of investment that we're going to have in the next couple of decades. Due to the predominant low-cost resource, the base predominant that we have here in the U.S., and basically how we actually can produce these uh, unconventional reservoirs in a fast pace, in a standardized pace, right? And everything that I just described before is being accomplished by the use of technology. We have horizontal drilling and fracturing. We standardize what we're doing. We have longer laterals. We have path development. We have simultaneous fracturing, just to mention a few things. Uh, today, we'll, you will hear more about that in many other areas of our expertise. Um, well, so welcome, and, and let's let's begin the show. Thank you very much. Look, back to you, Alex. Well, thank you, Johannes, for your words and the overview on um, conventionals. Mm -hmm. So I would like to start this live uh, with a question to Katerina. Uh, so given your expertise, how has geomechanics evolved with the advent of, of unconventionals? Yeah, geomechanics is actually uh, one of the disciplines that uh, really grew uh, within the unconventional realm of our unconventional reservoir realms. Uh, it is uh, uh, something that got developed more and more over the years, um, you know, moving from a very isotropic aspect of uh, geomechanics into an uh, anisotropic aspect of geomechanics was key to identifying the components that are key to the um, extraction of uh, hydrocarbons from unconventional reservoirs. In the, in, for that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a lot of had to go into the uh, analysis of geomechanics in terms of understanding compartmentalization. That's a difficult word to say, but understanding how our fracks, that, that's what unconventional, like Johannes mentioned, it, it's, uh, it's a part of uh, how the success came about uh, for unconventional reservoirs, is understanding the, um, the energy, the frac energy, how far it will reach, how far it can produce um, uh, pathways for hydrocarbons to flow out of your wells, as well as how much you influence your production of neighboring wells, especially with lateral wells and, um, uh, uh, you know, um, the, the child-parent relationships to wells. All of this uh, geomechanics play, plays a critical role 
and going back to the basics of geomechanics, these had to be advanced and further understood to be able to really successfully um, produce out of our unconventional reservoir. So I would say geomechanics, if it's not the key, it's one of the keys um, necessary to success in unconventional reservoirs. Uh, thank you, Katerina, for your answer. So my second question is for Scott. Uh, in your experience, how has uh, geophysical reservoir characterization changed with unconventionals? Thanks for that question, Alex. And uh, I just want to say it's a thrill to be here uh, talking with everybody. Uh, this is a great forum. Uh, Ertec, the integrated platform, is, is, is dear to all of our hearts. And this question is pretty relevant to the whole thing. So if we go back a little bit to conventional reservoir characterization. Well, as far as geophysics, geology, G and G in general, we got the big three. You have lithology, you have porosity, and you have fluid content. All efforts were devoted to quantifying those things. So what happened when shales came along? Well, when shales came along, we realized that some of these things don't matter because you're talking with about uh, uh, small porosity, uh, very small permeability, and the lithology is mostly known uh, as mud rocks. So we do pay attention to lithology now, and mostly it's a, it's a carbonate to shale spectrum, and we try to quantify the difference uh, between those two. But instead of the other two components, we spend our time uh, trying to quantify mechanical properties because that's what matters for uh, fracking um, uh, the reservoir. So those mechanical properties are Young's modulus and Poisson's ratio. So we can determine those things from well logs, we can determine those things from boreholes, and we can also uh, determine those things from geophysics. And so that's the integration of all those things. Now the final component that I want to add that came into the forefront with unconventionals is fracture characterization. So this is a, a sort of a sub-discipline sub of reservoir characterization, but fracture characterization really didn't have much of a place in conventionals, but in unconventionals, if fractures is the way you're going to produce, then it's very, very, very important. And uh, perhaps later in, in this uh, segment right here, I'll describe um, what fracture characterization um, really consists of. Katerina uh, started mentioning some of that, and I'll continue with that uh, later later in the in the in the podcast. Thank you, Scott, for your answer. So now I would like to ask Johannes, uh, what new innovations in stimulation, like fragment completion, have occurred? Thank you, Alex. And, and, and you can notice that every, all our responses are well, well integrated because this is the nature of this asset class, right? It's integration. Uh, and, and let me start with the very basics, right? Uh, the, rest of, the unconventional reservoirs are created when we stimulate. If we don't stimulate the rock, we definitely don't produce them. Uh, this is a main, main difference that we have with, with conventional reservoirs, that they sit out of the ground sometimes in the old times, right? Uh, this, you need to create that reservoir to make it work. Uh, and we have gone very long on this. Uh, we have longer fracture network, for example, 
which basically is compound by longer laterals. So our horizontal wells are being, being longer, drilling longer. Uh, we started with one mile. We are in average of two, but we have many wells also with three miles and more. Uh, we even have U-shaped horizontal wells uh, to try to cover areas that basically just a single straight line doesn't cover. Uh, we increase the propane mass, which is the amount of sand that we put when we complete these wells, when we frag this well, right? We went from 500 pounds per foot uh, to 2,500 pounds per foot. Uh, and we increase the fluid volume as well from five, 500 gallons per foot to 2,500 gallons per foot and that sort of stuff. Uh, we have denser fracture distribution because we don't want only the fractures to be longer and, and take more space, but we want them to be more dense, right? Uh, and the, the, the idea of being dense is you can drain more or cut more of the oil and the gas that is actually on the reservoir. Remember, you are creating the reservoir, right? So we went from cluster spacing from a, 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 a hundred feet cluster spacing to 15 to 20, sometimes five to 10 in some tests, in some testing that we're doing actually in the industry. We have higher state count. We went from 10 to 40 uh, uh, in average, and we have over range uh, for 80 to, to 100 stage uh, on average. Uh, we have higher pumper rates. We were injecting at six barrels per minute. We're now 105 uh, barrels per minute on average score. And we've been even higher, 140, 150 in few cases. And we, we actually try to have this in, lim in, in limited entries, so having different per, uh, perforation designs. We have linear delivery as well, fewer additive, local propane, instead of bringing that sound from all over the world we, or, or different places in the US, uh, we have local sourcing and we believe that that gives good results. And we have fishing operations. Uh, we do in Sinofrach, which is basically instead of in, in completing one well, we complete two at the same time and we can actually make this faster. We have queue development, which we can complete several, several benches at the same time. Uh, and not only on that part, but we also in, uh, increase our technology in the diagnostics and learning. We are using fiber access to understand the fracture geometry, uh, perforation, imaging, uh, solutions that basically give you tracers, interference tests, seal wells, pr uh, pressure monitoring developed by Devon, for example. We have side paths, some consortiums with co universities and other companies, uh, machine learning as well. And all, all this together basically brought very good technological changes. Uh, and the way, um, the, basically the main goal was to minimize our dollars per barrel, uh, trying to make this as economic as possible. And this path for innovation that we have got dramatic reductions in costs and brought more oils. For example, we decreased, in all these 15 years of production, we decreased the average cost of, of the well by 40%. We increased our production in the first year by 140%. Uh, we decreased the cost per barrel by almost 80%. Those are significant values that make these barrels economical. Uh, and you will see in your tech many of this. There are several sessions in optimization and design, hydraulic fracturing, mitigating, and seeing parent child effects, uh, materials that, novel materials are being used. So uh, it's gonna be a good trick during your tech to see all these technology plays and the collaboration that we have um, basically on all the specialities. Back to you, Alex. All right. Thank you. Uh, thank you for your answer, Johannes. So uh, I mentioned in the beginning of this slide that uh, your tech is probably the most important conference regarding to uh, unconventional resources. So how has the your tech uh, affected the concept of discipline integration? Has some conventional strengthened or weakened uh, the need to integrate it? Uh, Katarina, do you want to make a comment on this? 
Glad we will. Yes, thank you, Alex, for that question. Um, I think your tech uh, was, uh, you know, 11 years ago when it first uh, uh, took place here in Denver, um, and it will be back in Denver. So I'm very glad that it's uh, happening again in my hometown. Um, I think the platform was set for companies to realize the fact that uh, interdisciplinary action is required to uh, fully understand and fully uh, produce those uh, unconventional reservoirs. Like Scott and Johannes mentioned, we're moving, we moved away from uh, the conventional aspect of things because we had to understand the unconventional, the more complex uh, system that we're dealing with with unconventional reservoirs. And with the integration of multidisciplinary uh, approaches, workflows and things like that, um, the uh, different disciplines had to definitely communicate and also build technologies and approaches um, like Johannes just uh, listed a few here um, on how to better uh, quantify as well as uh, produce from reservoirs that are in these uh, tight shale place. Um, but the, it definitely produced, uh, your tech uh, started the conversation and uh, with that in place, the uh, technology started to build out of uh, you know conversations that multidisciplinary teams started to have. So I believe that your tech definitely provided a, a, a kicking point to, to those discussions, but also to the innovation that um, unconventional technology really brought to the light uh, of day here with, with more and more disciplines being involved. And as we moved on, uh, realizing that even more um, disciplines need to be part of the discussions from the beginning, um, geomechanics, petrophysics, geology, you know, reservoir engineering, and, and other, other ones are a great aspect of how your tech brought them all together, but also what the technologies then that came out of it all uh, really um, brought more success to uh, shale place and also moving from your tech here in the US, we also have your tech uh, um, uh, conferences now in Latin America and in Australia, for example, meaning that the understanding of this powerful uh, platform uh, is definitely required also elsewhere uh, to be able to further um, be able to, you know, uh, further add to the um, reservoir characterization as well as the reservoir exploitation uh, of unconventional reservoirs worldwide. So I definitely think that this uh, platform is something that uh, brought more understanding from disciplines to other disciplines. And with that in place, uh, you know, we're all leading into a common language now that uh, really brings success to unconventional place. Thank you, Katerina, for that answer. Uh, Johannes Scott, would you like to add anything to this? Nope. She, that was a great response. I'll find her. Uh, good. Uh, well, the next question is uh, from John Dow via LinkedIn. Uh, he asks, what level of information and geomechanics along the lateral would materially change the fracture characterization profile? Uh, Scott, would you like to make a comment on this? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I like, uh, I'd like to change the, the focus of the question a little bit. Um, the, the, the thing with uh, geomechanics is that it is, uh, along with what Katarina was just talking about with unconventionals, the Urtech, the Urtech uh, theme, as well as the unconventional profession, is integration. 
And geomechanics exemplifies this. You throw everything into geomechanics and it integrates the whole batch. It integrates engineering. So you, you throw in the, uh, the perf spacings, you throw in stage spacings, you throw in all of the fluid injection, and then you simulate what response the reservoir has. Now, how do you get that reservoir response? Well, that's the G&G. That's Katarina and myself um, providing the, uh, the rock properties that are there, the mechanical properties that I just mentioned before, as well as the fracture properties. And so with all of that, then you simulate what the, re the reservoir is going to uh, provide um, and then compare uh, what the actual reservoir does provide. So um, geomechanics is, is the, the be all and end all. Uh, and that's why, in fact, in Urtech, uh, one of the two or three themes that always has the most papers submitted is geomechanics. Uh, so uh, I'll leave the response there. Okay, uh, thanks a lot, uh, Scott. Uh, the next question is from Carolina Martinez. Uh, what are the most successful measurements of production after a frag job in the laterals? Uh, does anyone would like to take this one? I, I can take a stab on that. Uh, so thank you, Carolina, for the question. So basically, um, there are a few things that you could do uh, after you actually producing um, Basically, you can have interference tests to understand where, where actually fluids are going. Uh, you can have um, the geochemistry as well to try to understand where those, the water, where different, uh, with different salinities, different properties are going from different wells and different benches. Uh, if you put tracers while you're completed, you basically have a, a much more a better idea or where you can put water tracers or oil tracers and you can tag how much oil from where it's coming depending on different stages or you can tag the water uh, in different wells on different stages as well. So there are, there are a bunch of, uh, we call it SNO surveillance analysis and optimization tools that can help you with that. Uh, and, and at the end of the day, also when you get your production and you understand your tight curves and everything that you have on your previous wells, you can start getting into the what, what we call the interfering factors right, and depletion factors. So you can understand a little bit better how much a well should produce based on the fact that it's completed nearby wells that are already depleted or it's completed in, in different benches that you can get in production from different benches. Uh, so in, in, with time and basically with data, uh, you, you can improve those and refine those factors. Uh, but if you're going to do it immediately when you're producing a well, basically as, um, as strong as you know, like tracers, interfering tests, seal well pressure monitoring, as well uh, to help you with that after. If you want to do that earlier with fiber optics for fracture geometry will help as well. Uh, so you can understand how you're fracking your well depending on of, of the completion design. Uh, thank you, Johannes. Uh, we have another question uh, from Carolina Martinez as well. Uh, she asks, uh, how do you handle the lack of data over the laterals to improve the geomechanics modeling? Mm -hmm. Uh, someone wants to uh, comment on, on this I question? I can take that, yes. Okay. I'm happy to take that. Please. Yeah, thank you, uh, Carolina, for the question. Nice to see you here. Um, what I would say is uh, that's exactly what, uh, you know, uh, all of us were pointing towards, the integration of uh, 
multidisciplinary uh, aspects and understandings uh, and learnings that we get gathered over the years go into uh, uh, what I would call a geomodel space. And from that geomodel space, you can integrate it with seismic as well. There's, there's many avenues for that, but obviously you require you know, your logs, your information that you get uh, from your pilot holes and things like that as well as advanced core analysis that with the uh, unconventionals also has um, developed over the years. And with that, that's something that I um, alluded to at the beginning, the anisotropic aspect of things. All of that needs to be needs to be included into a geomodel space. And from that geomodel space, you can then um, apply it and uh, on the laterals in, into a, in that geomodel space and understanding how the variability of your um, models can then differ or change according to your measurement points on which you calibrate your models to. And obviously there's a lot of emphasis on quality of data, right? And then uh, and the quality of the data then leads to the quality of your models. But I think it is uh, something with uh, the data poor uh, lateral uh, gather, uh, data gathering that we're uh, still having uh, these days. It's, it's something that is critical. Geophysics can for sure help you a little bit as well with micro seismic and things like that. But uh, at the end of the day, um, the model creation is reliant on a lot of um, hard data like core and, and other aspects uh, of, of um, other, uh, I would say, subsurface data points that you can then gather. But if that is in place, um, an extraction of the models of the mechanical earth models, as well as the uh, geological models and the seismic models combined will give you an answer for that. All right. Thanks a lot for your answer, Katerina. So now, if you allow me, I would like to ask another question to, to Johannes. Given your expertise, what is the role of EOR in unconventional reservoirs? It is a, it's a very big role. Uh, so let me go back and, and put you what we are right now, right? Uh, most of this shell and tie unconventional resource are producing in single digit recovery factors. And that's understandable. The reason why is because they are being produced by solution that drive. This is the main mechanism that basically produce unconventional resource. So we put this well in production, the heavy molecules are basically moved by this solution gas drive. And when we lose that energy because of the lack of, of, of the decrease of the pressure on the reservoir that we created, by the way, with stimulation, uh, we, we are stopping there. Solution and drives in conventional reservoir give you 20% of the EOR at the most, right? So in unconventional, it has to be less. And that's the reason why we're in that single digits on average, right? So if we want to improve recovery in this unconventional reservoir, we can do two things. We can complete drill and complete better, which what we discussed it before on the previous question, or we can use EOR techniques. Uh, basically, the idea of the EOR techniques is to give you that potential to increase well recovery. It's been, it's been proven right now in pilots, basically, uh, and, and basically on the academia and also on the service companies. And what are those techniques, right? Uh, one of them could be chemical EOR stimulation. You can do it after, late in life in the well or during completion. And the idea here with chemical EOR is to change or, or alter um, drug fluid interactions. Alterability, the things that surfactants and other chemicals do, right? Uh, and trying with that penetrate deeper into the formation and mobilize those hydrocarbons. So basically, with that, you are re, re, re energizing your reservoir chemically. You're putting chemical energy. 
And that's the, that's the path that the chemical AOR can help you. You can do a gas AOR in which also later in life, when you go and interview a well like in life, you can give that extra boost that the solution that drive cannot give anymore because of the lack of pressure. So the oil that left in that depleted formation can be produced by re-energizer with hydrocarbon gas injection or any other gas for that matter, in which you need to mix it well and you have to actually increase that pressure to re-energize that reservoir. Uh, there are a lot of challenges in ER techniques right now, economics, repeatability, standardization, even understanding the first principle. This is not the same thing as unconventional EOR. It's quite different as everything in unconventional. Uh, but the challenge is for us, and technologies will actually make us do this better. And we have to unlock it because the size of the price is very big. If we can unlock our recovery factors, the way that we did it in heavy oil, for example, which we actually double recovery factors, the way that we did it in other asset classes, if we do that, the size of the price is tremendous for our industry. Uh, and also in Urtec, we have several sessions in EOR and conventional from like papers and, 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 and from academies service companies and, and for operators as well. So stay tuned for that. All right. Thanks a lot, uh, Johannes. So uh, I think we don't have uh, time for another question, unfortunately. So Johannes, Scott, Katerina, thank you so much for your insights. Uh, we would like to uh, invite you again to attend to the EUR Tech conference in Denver next month. So to your audience, thank you for joining us today. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the SPE Live podcast. For more content, visit the SPE Energy Stream, the industry's digital pulse at streaming.spe.org. If you enjoyed today's show, don't forget to subscribe and review. Join us next time on the SPE Live podcast.